Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve the life and leadership of assistant principals. This podcast complements APEX, the Assistant Principal Acceleration Program, but you certainly don't need to be an APEX member to find value in the podcast. Today, we're going to do a coaching grab bag. Today's episode was inspired by some ongoing work with the assistant principals from several different school districts. With these APs, we've already looked at different types of teacher observations, there are four, and done some basic observation tools and some post-observation conferencing strategies. Last month, each AP chose one thing to focus on helping a single teacher improve on. Earlier this week, we unpacked their experiences and there was so much to talk about. One of the things that we did was a gallery walk in which the APs answered five questions. Remember, these are five questions about their coaching experience of working with one teacher on one thing. So the first question, what did you feel best about? Second question, what impact did your coaching have on you, teachers, and students? What barriers to success did you face? What coaching skills do you want to grow? And what questions do you have? As I said, there was a lot to unpack, so much that I was inspired to record this podcast. To be clear, this is not an episode on how to coach. This is an episode that examines a number of the issues that shape, influence, and arise from coaching. First, I'll set the context for coaching in general. We'll talk about some barriers to coaching, and then we'll explore a number of tips and techniques. As I say every episode, this podcast is built around the principles of strategic leadership, prioritizing purpose over urgency, addressing problems, not symptoms, driving incremental progress rather than big change, and focusing on people instead of tasks. We're going to spend a couple of minutes reviewing those four principles now, but for a deeper dive, listen to the first episode of the podcast. If you're a visual person, I've uploaded the video for that podcast that includes all the graphics that I discuss. And you can find that at my website at frederickbuskey.com. The first principle of strategic leadership is focusing on purpose instead of urgency. This is a huge challenge for most assistant principals as everyone wants or needs something from you, and they want or need it now. Great APs refine their systems and act intentionally to create time to focus on what's really important or what's most important. One way to create that time is to focus on solving problems instead of treating symptoms. A typical example of this is dealing with multiple discipline referrals from a single teacher for minor infractions over and over again. Student referrals are the symptom, but the real problem is that the teacher cannot manage their classroom. Until we help the teacher, we'll be trapped on the discipline treadmill, working, 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 but not really making anything better. Speaking of making things better, the third principle of strategic leadership is making progress instead of trying to fix things. In the example with the teacher, if I try and fix that teacher by trying to correct all their faults, it will be a long time before that happens. On the other hand, 
if I can help that teacher establish one simple classroom procedure, things will get a little bit better. Incremental improvement today, no matter how small, is more valuable than a bigger change later. If we can spend more time being purposeful, solving problems, and making things a tiny bit better each day, then we can do the most important thing of all, grow our people. The first three principles of strategic leadership are important because when we execute them, we are able to then focus on the fourth principle, growing people. Let's take this one step further and contextualize your work. As a school leader, you have two responsibilities. Keep everyone safe and maximize student learning. You don't actually teach students, so the primary way to increase student learning is to improve teacher quality. So you have these two huge rocks. Keep everyone safe, help teachers get better. Everything else is pebbles. That doesn't mean the pebbles aren't important. Many of them are critical, but they aren't the most important thing. I think I know what some of you are thinking right now. That's nice theory, Frederick, but we live in a real world where it's crazy out here. To which I reply, yes, but. I sit in meetings where the principal, assistant principal, and instructional coach discuss teacher growth. They share their observations of a given teacher specific to the growth goal that they have for that teacher. They discuss how to support individual teachers and they look for patterns that influence what the instructional coach is planning for professional development. I'm not talking about wealthy suburban schools. These are rural schools with struggling economies, high poverty rates, and all of the negative things that are impacting our rural communities right now. Saying that a focus on growing teachers isn't possible is not true. I've seen it. Saying it might not be possible yet in your school is legitimate. So part of this podcast is about coaching, but part of it is also about the yet, about how we start to shift our school structures so we can get to the important work of helping our teachers grow. One of the other critical conceptual frameworks for today is leverage, which also has four principles. Now, I like things in groups of four. It makes it easy to balance the diagrams. So the four principles of leverage are zero is greater than one. If we think about leverage, there's always a fulcrum and zero is greater than one is the fulcrum. And the closer we get to treating a problem instead of a symptom, the closer we move the fulcrum to the load, which increases efficiency. A to B is about the load, and A to B means incremental change. This might be the most critical concept for today. Think of one of your struggling teachers, and you can probably come up with 15 things they need to improve on. But we can only work on one thing at a time and one step at a time. So A to B is just that first little baby step. An MVP is a minimally viable plan. This works with A to B because when we are only taking a small step or moving a small load, we can use a really simple plan or the equivalent of a really simple lever. Finally, 
m equals v divided by e, or motivation equals value divided by effort. When it comes to helping teachers grow, there is no such thing as a motivation problem. It is simply a calculation. Is the value or benefit worth putting in the effort it will take to achieve it? V divided by E. The greater the value the, and the lower the effort, the more the motivation. To increase motivation, we can increase value, decrease the effort required, or do both. Specific to helping teachers, an A to B step means a lighter load, so it requires less effort. In addition, A to B steps can be achieved quickly, resulting in immediate incremental improvement. And this is really important. Immediate change, no matter how small, is an increase in value. So, in looking at growing our teachers, it is absolutely critical to apply leverage by focusing on one key area, identifying baby steps, and I mean baby, and then engaging in the process of incremental change. Another way to think about this is through the train analogy. Think about a train engine and 30 cars sitting idly on a track. When the train first starts, it would be impossible for one engine to pull all of those cars at once. There's too much weight behind the engine and too little friction on the rails. So how do trains start? When a train stops, each coupling on every car relaxes and creates slack. When a train is standing still, each car, even though it is coupled to adjacent cars, is not in tension with them. When the engine first starts to move forward, the slack between it and the first car is eliminated. So the engine begins pulling that car. The slack exists between every other car. And so as the first car begins to move, it then takes up the slack of the second car. So now two cars are moving. This process repeats until finally that engine is pulling the entire train. So to move a train or a school, you need to start with one car or one teacher. Much of this podcast is predicated on the assumption that we're only talking about helping one single teacher grow. Yes, all your teachers need to get better. And yes, some of your teachers need to get way better. But if you can help only one grow, that is still improvement and therefore success. Once you're growing one teacher, you can look at the next one. But let's try and stay focused on the first car today. So how do I pick that first car? Consider M equals V divided by E. What teacher would yield the most growth or value with the least effort? Here are some things to consider. A teacher who wants to get better is less effort to work with. Helping a teacher who has lots of discipline issues will ultimately lower your workload, so that is a high value. So if the whole teacher coaching thing is new to me, if I'm working on my own, not as closely with my principal and I, an instructional coach, or if I'm really busy all the time, then generally the ideal person to work with is an early career teacher who wants to improve, but who has poor classroom management skills.
This is the lowest hanging fruit. And most schools have teachers like that, especially considering that in this year, 2021-22, you have many first year teachers or second year teachers who never actually had student teaching. There's one more thing to think about before we get to some nuts and bolts. Ideally, all teacher development should be part of a systemic approach. There should be an instructional leadership team in place consisting of the principal, assistant principal, instructional coach, and maybe other people. That instructional leadership team, or ILT, should meet weekly and should discuss the growth of individual teachers as well as groups of teachers. Observations and feedback should be coordinated, as should professional development. That's the ideal. I'm not saying that principals who don't do this are bad. I'm saying that in the schools where teachers grow and improve, this is what those principals are doing. Whether you're in a school that takes a systemic approach to teacher growth or not, most of this content really should apply to you. One of the common challenges is knowing which coaching stance to begin with. There are three basic stances. Reflective, in which the coach basically serves as a mirror. The outcome is that the teacher tells the coach what the teacher will do next. This is usually best for high-performing or highly reflective teachers. The collaborative stance is where the teacher and coach work together, with each leading the conversation at different times. In this stance, the next steps are mutually agreed upon. Most teachers can benefit from this form of working together. In directive coaching, the coach leads and determines what the next steps will be. We generally think of directive coaching as being for teachers who are, quote, in trouble or facing an action plan. And while directive coaching usually is a good match for poorly performing teachers, it doesn't need to be adversarial or negative. If I'm drowning, I don't want you to teach me to swim, and I don't want to talk about what stroke would be best. I need you to throw me a life preserver. In the same way, a teacher who's struggling may want the coach to come in and direct the teacher towards a better path. There are many different models of coaching. I'm working on my own, and I'd love to share it with you, but it's not ready yet. And the source that I rely on most is Elena Aguilar's The Art of Coaching. I'll include a link in the show notes. For the rest of this podcast, I'd like you to consider using the perspective of a directive coaching stance. It's easier to move from directive to collaborative than from collaborative to directive. I'm assuming that you've chosen a newer teacher who wants and needs help, most likely with classroom management, so the directive approach is very appropriate. It would be helpful if you're not already working with a teacher like that as you listen to the rest of the podcast to maybe be thinking about that specific teacher in your building and someone that you would like to start working with. One of the places we get into trouble when coaching is in trying to get the teacher to change too much at once. For example, we might direct the teacher to implement a procedure for how kids come into a room and start class. At the elementary level, this might be equivalent to how kids transition from one activity or subject to another, but I'll continue using the starting class example as that's more my background. There are three fundamental steps to coming into class. Entering the room, 
preparing to work, and getting to work. For someone who's struggling with procedures, or perhaps has never even been exposed to them, trying to attend to all three of these things and learning how to teach and reinforce procedures is overwhelming. It feels like a huge effort and risk with an unsure outcome. So motivation is low. In contrast, we can focus on an A to B step. Let's just teach kids how to enter the classroom. Let's just teach the teacher how to teach the procedure, or maybe we even teach the kids the procedure. Once that's working, we can move to the next A to B step, which might be how students should prepare to work. Once they've come into the classroom, how do they sit down? Where do they put their stuff? What should be on the desk? And then we teach the teacher how to reinforce positive execution of the procedure. But we do this step only after the teacher has successfully gotten kids to walk into class the right way. It's easier to just focus on one piece of the implementation. So effort, the E, is lower. And because we can create immediate improvement, V is greater. And it doesn't matter that the improvement is small, it's improvement. In the process of moving from A to B, a couple of things happen. First, we get that incremental improvement, so things are better. But second, we build trust. Trust that what we teach the teacher is helpful and trust that we really are on the teacher's team. We also learn how to better support them. Do we need to be more directive and provide more intervention or more support? Or can we loosen up and become more collaborative? As you can already see, Coaching is an ongoing process, not a one-off event. We first do A to B, then we do B to C, then C to D, and so on. Now, we aren't walking step-by-step step through the entire coaching process. That's too complex for a podcast. But I do want to say something about how we kick off a coaching engagement. When you coach a teacher, you should be doing it for the teacher not for the kids. You are free to disagree with me, but here's my reasoning. We work in a great profession because we shape the future, but we also work in a really difficult and sometimes frustrating profession because, well, <laughs> you already know all the whys. The positive parts outweigh the negative parts when we are effective at helping kids grow. But ineffective teachers don't help kids grow, so their career is not rewarding. It's just frustrating and really, really difficult. As leaders, we have an ethical obligation to help teachers achieve one of two things. Either get good enough at helping kids that the teacher has a rewarding career, or help the teacher identify a better career option and transition out. When we see a teacher who's 10 to 20 years into the profession and they can't teach and they're miserable, that's our fault. That's a failure to help that teacher. Of course, the greater purpose behind teacher improvement is for the kids. But when working with a struggling teacher, do it for that teacher. It completely changes the dynamic of the relationship. And if in the end that teacher needs counseled out, 
it's so much easier for you to help them do that because you do care about them and they know you care and you're not just trying to get rid of them. As I said, you're certainly free to disagree, but in my experience, prioritizing the teacher's well-being in a coaching cycle is a win for everybody, for them, for you, and for kids. So let's imagine the same conversation from these two different perspectives. Perspective number one, Mr. P, I know from your teacher observation and test scores that you're struggling with student engagement. Your kids need you to do better. So I'm going to help you implement some engagement strategies. Perspective two, Mr. P, your passion for your subject is evident and you clearly would like to have an impact on your students. At the same time, only one of your students appeared engaged and was responding to your lecture. I know you care and imagine that this is a frustrating situation. I'm confident that I can help you get more student engagement, have fewer discipline issues, and begin to have some fun teaching. You work too hard for that not to happen. Remember, we've chosen to work with someone who wants to get better, so either approach should work. But which approach sounds like you are really on the teacher's team? There's a lot more to cover, but I think we'll begin wrapping this one up. I've made the assumption that you've chosen one teacher who wants to get better. I realize there are resistant teachers who really need to get better, but you can get more bang for your buck by focusing on those who want to grow. It's like putting the lightest train cars in the front of the train. I also want to reiterate that if you have a high functioning instructional leadership team, this whole thing becomes so much easier. If you don't have that kind of a team, I don't know, maybe consider forwarding this podcast to some of the other leaders in your building, and then you can blame me for stirring up trouble. But even if you don't have a team, you can make a difference for one teacher, one small, tiny difference in the next seven days. How cool would that be? And in the process, maybe you'll have one fewer office referral a week, which gets you 10 to 45 minutes of time to reinvest in helping that teacher or maybe a second teacher. This isn't a magic bullet. It's hard, it's messy, it can be intimidating, but there are leaders who are doing this, who are helping their teachers and in the process helping their kids and having better life and leadership for themselves. As we close, I have a request. This podcast is for you. So please let me know what you think send me an email, tell me what's working, tell me how to make it better. If you want to hear more on a specific topic, let me know. If you know someone who'd be a great guest who's really good at something, connect me with them. You can email me at frederick at frederickbuskey.com and I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. If you'd like more content tailored toward the needs of assistant principals, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com. You might want to consider looking at Apex to accelerate your journey in, instru in instructional leadership, and you can find more about Apex on the website. All right, that wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast.